Philippians chapter 1 tonight, we're going to begin at verse 27. I want to go back though and, and sort of get a running start into this tonight because this is where Paul begins to exhort the Philippians, but let's remember from what, in a sense, he's exhorting them from, that Paul's under house arrest in Rome, that he doesn't know whether this could be the end for him and whether he's going to go and be with Jesus or whether he's going to stay. And in fact, he's even having some internal struggles himself as to how to pray and how to think about it. He says, my desire is to go and be with Christ. That's by far the best. But if God wants me to stay here, I know that it will be vital for your spiritual growth and that it will profit you and benefit you. And as Paul begins to think about it and pray about it, we saw last week that he truly lands on wanting to stay because he understands that in wanting to stay and desiring to stay, that, that's exactly sort of demonstrating and manifesting the heart of Jesus because we talked about last week that the best thing for Paul would be to go to be with Jesus. The best thing for the Philippians is that he stays. And so Paul, not wanting to think of himself and put himself above the Philippians, says, then I'm, I'm willing to stay. And Paul reminds us of Jesus, who obviously it would have been better for him if he'd have stayed in heaven and continued to have the adoration of, of the angels and the angelic beings and all of that up there and never went through what he did when he came to earth, but it was best for us that he did. And so Paul is simply, again, modeling for us the heart of Jesus Christ. And so it's out of that then that Paul begins to turn back towards earth and towards wanting to be with the Philippians and God making a way for him to get back to Philippi. And he says, oh, and by the way, he says in verse 25, when I come, I'm going to come for three things. I'm going to come to focus on your progress. This is going to be all about our spiritual growth as Christians. Second, it's going to be about your joy and my joy in the faith so that as we come together as God's people, we're not only going to be mutually encouraging each other in our growth, but also we're going to be mutually increasing our joy in the Lord as we learn to trust him more and more. And then in verse 26, he said, and it's all going to be also about giving Jesus the glory for everything good and everything great that happens back there in Philippi. Those were the three things that Paul centered his ministry on spiritual growth and progress, joy, an ever-increasing joy, and the glory going back to Jesus Christ. And I said that, that that should be our desire both as individuals and even as a church. And so as Paul's thinking about what, what will bring progress to the Philippians, what will bring joy to the Philippians, what will bring glory to Jesus Christ, he begins under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to exhort them. And he reminds them in verses 27 through 30 about three things that all tie back to progress, joy, and the glory of Jesus Christ. He reminds them that we are subjects. He reminds them that we are soldiers. And he reminds them that we are stewards. Let's look at these tonight. First of all, with we are subjects. And when I use the word subject, I'm not using that in any way in a negative term. I'm reminding all of us, as Paul does, that we are subjects of the King of kings and Lord of lords, that we are citizens 
of a heavenly kingdom that one day will be manifested here on earth. In fact, in Philippians 3.20, if you just glance at that for just a moment, Paul says we are citizens of heaven there in Philippians 3.20. So this isn't going to be the only time that Paul mentions that. But back in verse 27, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Literally in the original language, the phrase conduct yourselves means live as a citizen. Live as a citizen of heaven, of Christ's kingdom. Being reminded again that we are subjects of the Lord. Therefore, live in a manner worthy of that. Give appropriate worth and value to our citizenship as heavenly citizens. This is something all of us need to sort of be reminded of every day, that just as on earth, citizenship should be something that is looked at uh, with great pride, something that carries with it great responsibility, but also great privilege, and that as citizens of heaven, representing Christ on earth, we should carry with us every day that we are literally carrying the citizenship of heaven on our shoulders or around us at all times. And we should carry ourselves in a way that is worthy of our citizenship. Because as citizens of heaven, again, we have great privilege. We can approach the throne of grace at any time through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can come into the presence of God. We can call upon the Lord at any time. We can pray. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. There, we have the mind of Christ to be able to understand his revelation. All these great privileges, but it also carries with it a great responsibility. We are ambassadors, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, for Jesus Christ as well. And everywhere we go, we should represent Christ and his kingdom in a positive way. And so Paul is saying to the Philippians, this is one way that we will all increase our progress and our joy and bring glory to God is when we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And let's be reminded that the gospel, in essence, in a nutshell, is that God loves us, but he loves us at the cost of his own son. Despite our sin, God loves us at the cost of his own son. That's how much he loves each and every one of us. That's how much he's always loved us. He always will love us. That he was willing to sacrifice the most precious son that he had, the only son that he had, so that you and I could have this citizenship, this life through his son, Jesus Christ. He says, remember that every day. Remember to live as subjects. But then he goes on to say, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should also hear that you are conducting yourselves not just as subjects of the King of kings and Lord of lords, subjects of the heavenly kingdom, but that you realize that you are on a battlefield because his kingdom is not on earth yet and that we are in a sense in enemy territory. We are on an earth that is predominated by the philosophy of the world that is dominated by uh, Satan and, and his demonic philosophy behind it and all of that. And so he says, remember that we're not only subjects, we're soldiers. So he says, I want to hear whether I ever get back to you or not, 
a couple of things. First of all, that you are standing firm in one spirit as soldiers of Jesus Christ. The words standing firm mean to persevere, to endure. It reminds us again that, you know, we talked last week about progress, that word progress back in verse 25, and how it means to advance in spite of obstacles, how it was used in biblical times for great armies that would come and, and be confronted with great forests, and they would have to level the forests and level the trees or, or make... Uh, you know, get all the obstacles out of their way so that the army could continue to march forward. And God is saying the same thing is true with my heavenly army, in a sense, and my earthly army made up of the saints of God, that, that progress and advancement isn't going to come without challenges and obstacles and all these things that will get in your way. But with me, you can keep making progress and moving forward. Well, the same thing Paul is saying here. As soldiers, let's remember to persevere and to endure. Being a soldier of Jesus Christ and being on the battlefield spiritually is not going to be easy. And many Christians shrink from it. They, they won't even get out there on the battlefield. So Paul is saying, for those of you that are willing to get out there and, and be part of Christ's army on earth and, and be willing to be a soldier of Jesus Christ and be used by him to make a difference in this world and to make an impact and to influence others, he says, God bless you, but realize something. All of you are going to have to stand firm and persevere and endure. Which is why then it is so important that he goes on to say, standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. Literally struggling together for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love that those three words, in fact, I underlined them in my Bible in verse 27, side by side. You see, yes, God is with us, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. God is always there. In fact, he's always present with us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. But God understands as human beings, even as soldiers of Jesus Christ, that it's important that we look to our right or to our left and that there's some other human being there by our side, willing to be on that battlefield with us, willing to fight with us. It is so important to have those people side by side. And so he's talking to the church and he's saying, church, thank God for those that are willing, first of all, to come out on the battlefield, who are willing to be part of the battle. Because again, many Christians, nah, too hard, not going to do it. I'm going to stay in my little bunker back here. I'm going to stay where it's safe. I'm going to stay where the bullets aren't flying and where the, you know, the, the, the missiles aren't going off. And I'm, I'm going to stay where it's safe. I'm not going to go out there. But for those that do, Paul is saying, God bless you. Realize you're going to have to have a spirit of perseverance and endurance that can only come from, from the Lord's enablement in your life and then also from the encouragement of each other. That God never wanted you to feel like you're out there on the battlefield all by yourself, but that you can look beside you and that there's someone else out there who's willing to go out there on the front lines and fight the enemy for the gospel of Jesus Christ who's by your side. Thank God for those soldiers by your side. We're soldiers, but we are never to fight this battle alone. 
That's why the church is so important. That's why our partnerships and our relationships with each other is so important because we do need the Lord desperately. But we also need the camaraderie, if you will, the esprit de corps of one another because we're going to struggle. It's not going to be easy. And Paul's saying we've got to realize that we've got to struggle together. We've got to link arms and lock arms and do it. And I love the fact that at the Oasis that, that we all are getting that and hopefully we're getting that even more, that, that, that we just continue to let God knit our hearts together as we go out there and as we fight the good fight. Notice he says in verse 28, and by not being intimidated, not being frightened or terrified or, or in, in any way by your opponents. Because let me say this. Most of the time, the enemies that we face are going to be bigger, stronger, and have more numbers than we do. I mean, look at the Bible. All the, all the people that, that God called to, in a sense, go out on that battlefield and fight the battle a lot of times they were facing a giant that was bigger than them and stronger than them, an army that was greater than them. Think of Gideon. You go through all the stories in the Bible and almost always God's group is outnumbered by the other side, right? Almost always. Or that God's people don't have the resources that the other side does, but they got God. That's always going to be the case. And so if you and I, just like the children of Israel... If we're, if we're looking strictly at the externals, then just like the children of Israel, we'll shrink back from what God's calling us out to. Because we'll look out there and go, oh, wait a minute, God, there's giants in the land. And there's no way that, you know, we're just this small little church and, and I'm just this small little person and I don't have much to give you, God. And so there's no way. They're, they're giants, God. The, the, the enemy that I'm facing, they're giants. And God would say, but compared to me, who are they? And with you and God, you're always the majority. God always leads us in triumph in Christ. God's never been defeated a day in his life, and he never will. And God's just looking for those who have the faith to follow him as we continue to march forward. But he understands the importance of having someone by our side, having those partnerships, having those relationships, those friendships, because we're soldiers, but we're soldiers as we do this together, you see. And he says, not only don't be intimidated by your opponents, your adversaries, but realize that if they're opposing you and I as we're just simply trying to do the will of God and what God is calling us to do, then this is a sign of their destruction. Literally, in the original language, their ultimate loss. In other words, in the end, it may look like they're prospering now, and we talked about that, how temporarily it can look like the enemies of God are winning and all of that, but Paul is reminding the Philippians, ultimately, they lose, because anyone who opposes God will ultimately lose. Therefore, anyone who is willing to be on God's side ultimately wins, and that's why he continues in verse 28 by saying, this is a sign of their destruction or ultimate loss, but of your salvation. And here, he's not talking about our personal salvation. He's talking about our ultimate victory or our glorification. A sign, Paul says to the Philippians, which is from God himself. So Paul is saying, 
Let's talk about progress. Let's talk about joy in our faith. Let's talk about giving God the glory. If we're going to live for the glory of Jesus Christ, remember that we're subjects, remember that we are soldiers, and finally remember that we are stewards. Verse 29. And I want us all to just, for a moment, let this verse and the truth of it not only sink in tonight, but let's start meditating on the truth of this because it's, it's pretty deep. Because notice what Paul says. It has been granted to you. By the way, that word granted, don't miss this. This is crazy, I know, to us, looking at it just on the surface as human beings. Granted means it's a gift, okay, of God's grace. It is an extension of God's favor. Keep that in mind, because Paul said, it has been granted to you not only to believe, to have faith and trust in Christ, but notice also to what? Suffer. Don't miss what Paul's saying. He's saying, Philippians, the way we progress, the way we truly find joy, the way we glorify Christ is by realizing that we are a steward of the seasons of suffering and the times of suffering that we will go through on earth and that actually how we should look at it as a follower of Jesus Christ is when we are going through a time of suffering, not to think, God, why me? But to think, oh, God, you're trusting me with this because this is a gift from you? This is actually showing from you that, that I'm an object of your divine favor and grace because you're entrusting me with this opportunity during my time of suffering to demonstrate your reality and your sufficiency to others around me, to show others that even in my times of deepest suffering and pain and all of that, that you are enough for me and therefore you are enough for them. What a gift. Wow, that's a whole different way to look at suffering, right? Because many times, even as Christians, we look at other Christians who are suffering, go, oh, poor so-and-so, they're always suffering. And Paul's saying, oh my goodness, don't you realize God is favoring them? God is giving them a gift, a gift of suffering. Not that we will be defeated in our suffering or discouraged by it or end up in despair by it, but actually realize, God, you are giving me an opportunity to shine for you during my time of suffering. You're giving me a time to show others through my time of suffering that you are real, that you are sufficient, that you are enough. I think that's why when Paul even prayed to God, God, take my thorn in the flesh away God's response was, Paul, I love you too much to do that. I'm going to give you my grace instead because my grace is sufficient for you so that you'll have that thorn for the rest of your life, but my grace will be enough for you to rise above that thorn and to live above that thorn and show people that nothing, no matter what the thorn is, is going to ultimately defeat us or discourage us or bring us down because with God and the grace that he will grant us as we suffer, we can always rise above it as victors. 
We are stewards. We are stewards in our suffering. We are soldiers on a great battlefield every day. And we are subjects of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Paul says, it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him since you are encountering the same conflict, the same struggle that you saw me face and now hear that I am facing. Can I, can I stop here for a moment too and say this? Sometimes as Christians, we struggle with pride in this sense. We're not willing to let even our fellow brothers and sisters sometimes know that we're struggling. And I realize we've got to be safe, but at least hopefully there's some fellow soldiers, those that are by our side that we can truly be ourselves with even when we're not at our best selves and say, I'm struggling right now. I'm not at my best right now. Because notice, Paul says, see, that, that was the great relationship that Paul had with the Philippians, and I think that's one of the reasons why they were so close. Because, let's face it, you can have a close relationship with, with another human being in a sense when, you know, everything's always good and all that kind of stuff, but there's also something about a bond that can be created when you all are going through sometimes yucky stuff and stuff that's not always the best and, and where you're, you're there for each other. You, you know, one of the verses that stuck out to me several days ago when I was reading it out of the book of Proverbs about friendship is that a friend loves at all times. A friend isn't just there whenever you and I are on top of the world and everything's good. No, a friend, a true friend, because a friend that's a true friend is going to be a friend like Christ who's always there no matter what, that a friend loves at all times. All times. Even when we're struggling. That's a true friend. And so Paul says, I know that you saw the struggles I had and now you're facing the same struggles, but I want you to know, Philippians... I want you to know, be a good steward of that, of that season of suffering because it's an opportunity to show others who Christ really is. And with that said, remember, chapter divisions and verse divisions and headings were not found in the original text. <laughs> so many times when we come to the end of a chapter, we think, okay, we stopped there and now we pick up something else in chapter two, but Chapter 1 and the thought that Paul's just given to the Philippians actually just flows beautifully now into chapter 2. So let's keep going. Paul says, on the heels of all that, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is, any comfort provided by God's love for us, and there certainly is, any fellowship in the Spirit, and there is, and any affection of mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in spirit, having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. I wanted to read all four verses because in the original, it's all one sentence. It's not broke, it's just all one flow. And Paul starts out, I think, in verse 1, 
this way because he's just talked to them about suffering and about conflict and struggle. And Paul, I think, is saying to all of us, including the Philippians, embrace the will of God for your life, no matter what it is, and here's why. Because you always have the help and support of God himself, as well as, hopefully, your fellow soldiers, or at least a fellow soldier that is by your side. Because in verse 1, Paul is reminding us as Christians of something. We always do have available to us the encouragement of Jesus Christ himself. Now, the reason why he uses the word if is because it might not be a reality even to every Christian simply because we're not receiving it, we're not responding to it, we're not availing ourselves of it. It's like a lot of things. You know, we can possess something, but it really is not making an impact in our everyday life. I mean, I'll just use this as an example. Think of our garages. We possess a lot of stuff that's in our garage somewhere, but it's not really making a difference in our everyday life. It's just sort of stored there. A lot of times as Christians, God has given us things that we just end up sort of storing away and we're not really using it every day or availing ourselves of it every day. We possess it, it's ours, but it's not making a difference every day in our lives. So that's why Paul says, if there's any encouragement. There is, but are we receiving it? And I love this word that Paul uses here. It's, it's this word encouragement is a word that speaks about coming alongside and being just near, as near as one can be. You know, a friend, someone who puts their arm around you and prays with you and, and speaks into your ear, you know, gives you those words of encouragement. Paul's saying, you realize as a Christian, you realize, those of you in Philippi, you have Jesus Christ as a personal encourager in your life every day. He comes alongside and he shares things with us and his very presence is there at all times. You have help and support in the conflict and in the struggle and in the suffering. And then he says, and don't you have the comfort provided by God's love? The consolation? God loves us. And the reality that God loves us every day should be a comfort to us, even when we're suffering and even when we're struggling and even when we're going through conflict. Then he says, any fellowship in the Spirit. That's the word koinonia. It means partnership. He's saying, oh, and by the way, we not only should have a human partner, if you will, or a couple of them, we've got a heavenly partner with us all the time who lives inside of us. And he's there every day to provide help and support. You know, the Bible teaches us Jesus intercedes for us all the time and that the Holy Spirit literally prays even when we don't even know how to pray or what to pray. So Paul's reminding all of us as Christians it's not that there's not going to be hard times, but God will be there to help and support and hold us up and lift us up during those most difficult times. There is always encouragement in Jesus Christ. There's always comfort in the love of God. There's always partnership in the Holy Spirit. And then he ends by saying, oh, and then there's always God's affection and mercy. And the word that's used there talked to us about this before. It's that word that speaks about the fact that 
the deep feelings. It's the only way I can, the deep feelings that God has for each of us. And the way the Greeks would, would seek to explain that is to go back and say, you know, your belly, your, your gastrointestinal area. Because when you and I have feelings for someone or something, when, when we are feeling something, it's going to affect this area. And so literally, that's the words that's used here for God's affection and mercy for us. Literally, the bowels, if you will, of God. And in a sense, Paul is saying it, and I mean this in no way disrespectful, Paul is simply saying, and he's trying to give us a picture, God has great bowels for you. He cares about you that much. God is affected by what we, he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. That's what the writer of Hebrews says about our high priest. He does care about us. He's not up there in heaven removed and distant and cold and aloof. No, our God is right there in the battle and in the struggle and on the battlefield and in the pain. He's right there with us. And so Paul is saying, oh, my friends, it will be hard at times to be subjects of the king, to be soldiers of the king, to be stewards of the king. But remember, you and I have all the help and support we could ever imagine in our king. He is there for us, which is why then Paul goes on to say, complete my joy, Philippians. In fact, in this long sentence of four verses, these three words are actually the core of it all. Everything that Paul says before that and after that actually goes back to those three words. Complete my joy. Now, Paul's not being self-centered or self-serving in that. Notice what Paul's saying. He's saying in those words, I've already received so much joy in my life from you Philippians. So there's something for us to consider. That other Christians can be a source of joy for us and we can be a source of joy to others. But Paul's also saying here, you want to continue to just fill up my joy bucket? He says, then continue to be who God wants you to be. Notice, Paul's joy isn't tied to, God, I, I want more power in this life. God, I want more possessions in this life. That's what will bring me joy. God, God I want prestige. I, I want to I be made known. I, I, I want the world to know who Paul is. No, no, no. The thing that was going to bring Paul greater joy was the spiritual progress and joy and, and bringing glory to Jesus Christ and other Christians. Wow. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't experience a lot of joy like we should because maybe our joy is tied to things that it shouldn't be tied to. Maybe the thing that should be giving us joy is what's happening with other Christians and, and the joy that there's other Christians out there on the battlefield and and, and being faithful subjects of the king of kings and being stewards of suffering. And maybe that's what should fill our 
our hearts with joy because that's what filled Paul's heart. Paul's like, if I'm coming back from the brink and I'm not going to glory yet to be with Jesus, then I want you to continue to just be a source of joy for me. And I'm going to tell you how to do that. Three things, and then we'll pick it up here next week. I just want to touch on them so that you sort of know where we're headed next week. He says, if you're going to continue to just be a source of joy for me, you and Philippi need to pursue three things. You need to pursue unity, chapter 2, verse 2. Be of the same mind by having the same love, united in spirit and having one purpose. You need to pursue humility, Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. And you need to pursue helpfulness, verse 4. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. Paul says, that's what will just continue to fill me up with joy, is when I hear, because maybe I can't be there, or when I see with my own eyes that you all at that church in Philippi, that you are pursuing together unity, humility, and helpfulness. And then I'll end with this tonight, and we'll pick it back up in this passage next week. He says in verse 5, to the church, to all of us, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. Notice what Paul does here. What is, he started with the exhortation. Only let your conduct be as it, you know, becometh citizens of the kingdom. And now he ends this long exhortation. It started back in chapter 1, verse 27 with these words in 2, 5. And the exhortation now is holding up Jesus Christ as the example, saying, you want to know how to live, church? Just be like Jesus. Look, look. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. How did he live? That's, that's the model. That's the pattern. That's the example. Holding up Jesus Christ before the church at Philippi. And so tonight, you and I need to hold up Jesus Christ before our eyes as well. He's our example. He's our pattern. He's our model. If we want to know how to pursue unity and how to pursue humility and how to pursue helpfulness, we need to look no further than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what his earthly life was all about. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that, Lord, you have reminded us that, Lord, we are part of your plan a plan and a purpose that is so much larger and so much bigger than ourselves. And Lord, so often we can feel awful alone out there. We can feel isolated. We can feel abandoned. God, sometimes that's just normal human emotions that we go through. We can feel like we're not accomplishing anything, we're not achieving anything. Our life doesn't count. Our ministry doesn't matter. But God, you have reminded us tonight that Lord, in those times, that we need to be reminded that we have all the help and support we could ever need or want. 
Lord Jesus, you are standing there with us. That your love never fails, never gives up on us. That nothing can ever separate us from that great love. That we have a partner in the Holy Spirit of God that is always there. And that, God, you have such deep feelings for us that we can't even begin to know how much you love and care about us. You are affected and touched by the struggles and the conflicts, whether they're internal or external, God, that we go through as we're out there on the battlefield. And God, we've also been reminded tonight that how precious it is that we have those that are by our side while we're out there. And hopefully, God, they're is not only at least one that we feel like we can count on in our lives, but hopefully we are that person that others feel like they can count on and rely on too while they're out there fighting their battles. And God, that we don't do this apart from one another. We do this together with you and with one another. That was the message of Paul to the church at Philippi. Don't ever try to do this alone. It's too hard. The enemy will try to isolate us. The enemy will try to make us feel like we're out there all by ourselves. But God, you never intended for us to be that or to feel that way. You always want us to know that you're with us and hopefully that we have a few other gospel partners with us as well that we can continue to strive and make progress, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ while we're here on this earth. So God, would you continue to just strengthen your people here at the Oasis and unite our hearts to you and to one another and, and help us, God, to realize that when we are down and, Lord, maybe struggling a little bit, that, Lord, we just need to continue to just look to you and receive not only your encouragement, but the encouragement we get from others, God. And so, God, would you just strengthen your people tonight as only you can. And help us to realize, God, that even when we're not maybe on top of things and feel like we're at our best, God, you're still God. <laughs> you're still God. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.